class. It is really hard to interrupt you enjoying visiting with one another. That's good to just watch. I enjoy that. Thank you for being here for a Wednesday evening Bible class. We have classes going on with your children now even as we speak and I'll set my timer tonight and try not to run over. Um, Brother uh, Ken is teaching in the Annex, and we're continuing our study of personal evangelism. We're ready for Lesson 3, and looking, uh, trying to begin to peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak, and look at uh, deeper levels of that very timely and very important Bible topic. By way of announcement... And I left my glasses uh, in the office. I broke my good pair, and I found this pair that's been up here for about three weeks. So you have until this in class to claim them, because uh, I really like them. 
Uh, but if they're yours, if you don't mind, I'll use them for a little while. But uh, remember in prayer, of course, there are many people on our sick list. Uh, um, currently, particularly, we want to remember Sister Patrilla Maddox. She's in the Baptist Memorial Hospital in Oxford following surgery on a broken leg. Randall Mooney continues in the Magnolia Hospital here in Boonville. Or no, Magnolia, that would be in Corinth, sorry. Nikki Evans had bypass, heart bypass on Monday and is doing well. Adrian Edge is at home and my understanding is correct. They have placed him on hospice. Um, this Sunday, just before announcements at both assemblies, uh, Larry Morgan and Jim Estes will give a mission spending report. Beginning Wednesday, June the 2nd, masks will be optional for all our classes and our assemblies. And mark your calendar. We'll begin to put this in the bulletin. We've been talking about it, but Saturday, June the 12th, uh, we're not having a week-long VBS this year, but what we are having is what we are calling Saturday Bible Camp. Uh, I had come up with three names and hated all three of them, and uh, I have learned to seek out wise sources, and this is where I got this um, name. I love it. Saturday Bible Camp for our grades six and down, and uh, we're, we're going to be asking for volunteers very soon to help with those things. The teenagers will be doing some things, and I need some support people in place, and you'll be hearing about that in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, and I understand it's vacation time. If you go on vacation between now and the 12th, that's fine. Just check your phone every day. Don't uh, your head like this. Okay, good. Uh, man, I thought, y'all, I thought that was a joke. Uh, Okay, but the theme is building the walls of our faith, studies from Nehemiah, and we're going to have some, some Bible classes, have lunch, and have some fun activities in the afternoon, but that's from 9 to 3, and about 1.30 to 3 will be the fun activities, and so we hope that you will encourage uh, your children to be a part of that. Tonight, as we turn our attention back to the study of God's Word, especially as we talk about personal evangelism, Let's focus our minds and our hearts by going to God in prayer. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we come to the close of a midweek day, Father, realizing that so many of our bodies are tired, that our minds are also tired, help us, Father, to focus for a little while and be revitalized and rejuvenated with a study of your truth. Help us to focus on what you have to say within the pages of your inspired word about the importance of teaching others the saving truth found within its pages. Father, we pray especially for those who have been mentioned by name tonight and those who are in our bulletin and those who are on the hearts of those listening who are sick, who are hurting, who are in need of particular care asking that you, knowing their needs far greater than we, that you would care for them in accordance to your will, that you would be with their families and be with those who are caring for them. Help us, Lord, as we serve you to do the very best we can. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Tonight, as we move into lesson three, by a, a quick review, that the study in which we are engaging is literally a study of personal evangelism. So we spent two lessons 
making sure we understood that we're going to break down this topic, break it down in a way that we know exactly what God says and how God says it and how what God does say applies to me when it comes to this idea of evangelism. Simply put, taking the truth of the Word of God, taking that which would save the soul, 1 Peter chapter 1, save the soul of another person, because that person comes in contact with the truth, comes in contact with Christ, comes in contact with the salvation found in the blood of Christ, all within the pages of the Word of God, and wants to become a disciple of Christ and obey God through obeying God and being washed in the blood and saved from the sin. And we could continue talking about that to great length, but that's evangelism. Those who have experienced it share it with those who need it as we continue to strengthen ourselves. And the idea of the word personal means is that in some shape, form, or fashion, to some degree, in some way, I have a part in that teaching. I have a role to play. It's not somebody else's role. It's, it's maybe very different from your role or the person's next to me role, role but I have a role to play. And I have a connection, a responsibility, an obligation. Any word you want to connect with that, it comes back to me. And so that's what we're looking at. So we've spent two lessons in laying that foundation of understanding. And so as we move into lesson three, I want us to think about, I think it went too far. Or I missed one. What I want us to do is I want us to, to look at three essential uh, essentials. I thought I had another screen for just the title. Three essentials of effective personal evangelism. We're just going to look at one tonight. My goal is not to be in a hurry. My goal is not to run out uh, to you in this class with a wheelbarrow full of Bible truth and just simply dump it out there and say, sift through it. Sometimes we do that. And I'm certainly not, uh, please forgive me if I sound like I'm being judgmental, I'm really not. But I heard a young preacher one time uh, almost brag about, and again, I, that's not mine to say, but talk about how cool it was to, to quote, a hundred, man, they quote 150 verses in, in one 45-minute lesson. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not smart enough to absorb 150 pieces of truth that, in 45 minutes. Now, I can be impressed by that and I can understand the gist of that, but that's not what I want us to do. I don't want us to understand the gist that the Bible teaches we ought to teach others because it does. And that souls are lost and they need to be saved and the truth is how they are saved. I think I, maybe 99%, if not 100%, Jeremy, of the people who walked in the door and sat in these pews already knew that. But let's break it apart. Let's look at it almost at its, using a, an earthly term, its molecular level, its basic level, so that we understand exactly what that means for me. So there are three essentials of personal evangelism that over the course of the next three lessons I want us to think about. And just one of them tonight. Number one, effective personal evangelism. For me to be effective, 
when I accept my role, when I accept my connection to that command, what does it look like? How will I do it effectively? First of all, may I suggest to you tonight that being effective at teaching other people the saving gospel involves understanding. Now, time out. I I want you to understand, and if you're listening to us live stream, I I, I want you to listen to the whole, all of it. I'm starting with a disclaimer here of sorts. I'm warning you. I'm warning you that we are about to embark on a study that may touch your heart. We're about to embark on a study that may, to use a little plain language, get in your face spiritually and challenge some of the things you've maybe thought of or hadn't thought about in a while. So with that warning, I want us to think about that first, we must understand that the world is lost. We have to understand the world is lost. And you may say, well, duh. Well, I know that. And I I really want to be kind here. I know that. But do we really know that? In 1 John 5, and I have not mastered the... uh, Jeremy, we're going to have to work on a preacher friendly. It's got to be big. You know, 1 John 5 and verse 19... The whole world lies in wickedness. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. Read the New King James. We know that we are of God, or we are gods, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Okay, think about that word lies for just a minute. Now, again, I wasn't trying to say I'm going to be sarcastic, and I certainly wasn't trying to be funny when I said, uh, warning, this is going to be a very straightforward study. But it's easy to understand. Sometimes if I'm, if, let me stop. I'm talking about me. I'm talking just to, to me and about me. I'm afraid I get into this idea. I had someone look up the definition of the word status quo earlier. I want to make sure I got it right. The word status quo, uh, the way things are, the general acceptance of the state of things. It, sometimes if we're not careful, in order to be at peace, we get comfortable with the status quo, with the way things are. Uh, we need, well, yeah, you need, to, you need to come over here because being over there is not right. Being over there is lost and over here is safe. But I don't know if we really appreciate that. Lies under the sway of the wicked one. You understand that means that if it lies in wickedness, it's immersed in it. Under the sway of, the control of the wicked one. And now that's exactly why you can say we can't approach personal evangelism as taking someone, any someone, and saying to them, whether we know them or not, whether we are friends with them or not, and saying, look, you've got to believe this. You've got to do that because where you are is lost. And they're not going to take that on face value many times. They're, until their heart is pricked, Acts 2. Until they, because Why? they too understand something about the status quo. Under the sway of the wicked one means they're under his control. You mean he prevents them from obeying the gospel? He does. He forces them? Oh, no. He does something far worse than that. 
Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 4, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And someone read verses 3 and 4 when you get that, if you don't mind. Please. Just a quick side trip here. Isn't it interesting that 1 John 1 and verse 7, 8, 9, and, and, and then into chapter 2, verse 1, talks about the salvation of a child of God and the blood of Jesus cleansing us. But if we walk in the, the what? The light. But here, the light is hidden. That word veil. We think of the word veil as in like a, 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 a bride wears a veil. You can see through that veil, right? Yes, not that kind of veil. But like the veil, what kind of veil was it in the temple? Say it. It, it was, what? It was thick. It was heavy. You couldn't see through it. Uh, and by the way, I, I think of the strangest things. One of the scariest situations I ever, don't talk about me. One of the scariest situations I ever had when performing a wedding. This really happened. The audience never saw it. I'm very thankful because I didn't know what to do. They had a unity candle. And the bride bent over to blow out her candle. And her back was to the audience. She forgot to lift her veil. And it literally went, burn all the way up to the top. And in my split-second mind, I'm thinking, okay, what do I do and I'm thinking, all this hairspray, the bride catches fire. That's not, I didn't, they didn't study, we didn't study that in school. Okay, but fortunately, it hit that plastic rim and it just kind of stopped burning on its own. Everybody thought, oh, she took her veil off. <laughs> no, it burned up. And that was really scary. It was, see, it was light, it was thin, it was see-through. The kind of veil we're talking about, though, is a heavy, dark veil that you can't penetrate. Wait a minute. If our gospel is hidden or veiled, it's hidden to those who are lost. I used to misread that and think, well, God is causing people to be lost? Oh, no, no. They can't see the light because Satan has dropped a veil over their eyes. Satan has. Now, it's easy to talk to someone and say, hey, you need to see the light. How can you see the light when you are covered with a heavy drape? So... Things have to happen so that drape is removed, that veil is removed, and that cloud is cleared before people can see the light. So when I, I have to realize people are lost, they're not just lost out there because they've chosen to wander over on this side, and I say, hey, you need to come back on this side. They are so lost, they haven't seen the way and have no clue where it is or how it is or what it is because their eyes are blind. And so when I think about approaching those people, I have to realize lost is a scary thing. Lost is a blinding thing. It's a confusing thing to people. And we get con- maybe we get frustrated because we, we jump up and down because they just don't see it. That's right, they don't. They don't because they can't. You mean they're excused? Oh, no. 
We have to work harder at making sure we remove the things that prevent them from seeing the light. Well, that's going to be a little harder. You're right. In Luke 19 and verse 10, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, Jesus, in talking about himself, said the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. Now, when you read that, Who's got the, uh, if you, I see some of you turning, who's got the ESV there? Uh, what does it say? Does it say has come? The reason Jesus came to this earth, the reason why I like the has come there uh, in the New King James, the, the truth is the same either way. But the tense there has an understanding because of that word has, is that the, his presence continues into now. He didn't just come one time. He didn't just present himself as salvation and then that ceased to be the case. That salvation through Christ continues into the right now in this very moment. Okay, but none of that matters if we don't first understand that the world is lost. The world is blinded. The world is confused. The world is wandering around doing some really crazy things. That's because they don't know any better. Now, you do understand, I'm not saying any of these things to suggest that that is some kind of excuse for behavior. Oh, no, no. It's, I'm saying that for us. If you're going to be a teacher of someone who is lost, you need to understand what lost is. That lost means you have no clue where you're going. Lost means that you don't understand that there is a different way, a better way, an absolute way. So we have to understand that. We have to get that in our mind. But that goes with number two. Now, I said this was going to be pretty plain, and you may say, you didn't just say that. No, I didn't. But the Bible does. If you and I are going to be effective as teachers of those as teachers of the gospel to those who need it, then we have to understand that the lost, does the Bible teach that, first of all? Does the lost, that the lost, will be lost in or for eternity in a devil's hell from the presence of God in a place of punishment and torment? That's either the truth from the Word of God, therefore reality, or it is a religious fairy tale made up to scare children and motivate adults. The lost will be lost in eternity in a devil's hell from the presence of God in a place of punishment and torment. That is either the truth from the word of God and therefore reality, or it is a religious fairy tale made up to scare children and motivate and, and manipulate adults. It's one or the other. It's not a combination of the two. Is one or the other. Look with me at Matthew 25 and verse 41. To me, this is one of the most interesting verses of all in all Scripture. It is, of course, in... Um, the parable, or no, I don't think this is a parable, in the uh, image there, 
When the Son of Man, verse 31, comes in his glory and the holy angels with him and uh, all nations appear before him and he separates them as the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left. Look at verse 41. He will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed. Why are they cursed? Because they did not follow God. They didn't obey. They didn't do what they were asked to do. But wait, what does it say? Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's interesting to me because you think, wow, God must be mean. He must be really mean because he, he prepared a place to put us even before we were born. No, he didn't. Wait, what did you just say? According to Scripture, God never intended for you and for me to ever see hell. He didn't prepare a hell for us. He prepared hell for the devil and his angels. Now, if I choose to follow the devil and his angels, then God has no recourse because I have cursed myself. Now, I want you to understand that. Now, but along with that, though, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, that's in 2 Thessalonians, I said that wrong. 2 Thessalonians 1. Seven, eight, and nine. Somebody read that when you get it. You who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall reveal from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with hell for life of this truth. From the present Lord, from the glory of His power. You know what? Um, this is one of those instances when I, I wish we're different here. Because when you read that verse 7, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. And it's almost like that's the, the beginning of that verse when really it's the end of what was just said. It said, To give rest to those of you who are troubled when the Lord Jesus, He's going to come, He's going to avenge. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who obey not God. What does that say? And obey not the gospel. So is it a biblical truth that there is a gospel to be obeyed and it is a reality that I can not obey it? Yes or no? Yes. And if I do not obey it, that verse says that I, the vengeance of the Lord will lead me to what? Everlasting destruction. From the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power. I need to understand, if you and I are going to be motivated, if we're going to be prepared, if we're going to be effective as teachers of the lost from the truth, you and I have to understand that those who do not obey the gospel are lost. Not because I said so. Not because that's what the church of Christ teach. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as church of Christ teaching. It's the truth. It's the gospel. That's the New Testament. We either believe it or we don't. And if we, yes. Is that two separate groups of people? Those who do not know God and those who do not obey? Because there's some that, that do not ever learn about God. Because they are lost and there's some that know about it. 
No, I'm kidding. I mean, feel free to say. Personally, I think you can see it either way. I think there are two. We're going to talk about that other group just in just a second. It's a very important point. But there are those who know not God. There are those who reject from the outset. But then there are those who are confronted with the truth and know it to be the truth and know they ought to obey the truth, and then they don't. They choose not to. They make a choice. There are others who cut themselves off before they ever reach that choice point. Uh, now, that's my personal thoughts on that. You... Yeah. Yeah. The... I think in this case it's emphasizing the same group or different aspects of the same group, but again, it doesn't really matter to that. We're going to talk, in fact, give me just a second to we look at another verse and we're going to come back to, to the Amerindians and the other people in the world. People are not lost because of ignorance, they're lost because they're on the way to gospel. That's right. Very important. Jonathan, were you going to say? And then. Well, Since he's talking about you had a, your responsibility to do for others as you have learned and been shown and you chose not to do what you were taught, not to do what you were shown. And so by doing that, you have, I don't know who you are because you've rejected me. Absolutely. Now, we, yes, sir. It's two different warnings, though. I think there's one is a warning of us that if we don't teach, it's going to be partly our responsibility to go to if they don't know God. Step one. Step two is on them. If they heard the truth, they chose not to obey it. That's on them. Not on us. I think it's two different. I do. I personally think conjunction, junction. There's a man there. I think there's two different people, but the result is the same. You mean in Second Thessalonians? Yes. Yeah. Um, exactly. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Let's make sure, and I don't know if you've heard or been able to hear everything, but one of the things that I want to make sure that we come back to is that in that 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, vengeance on those who know not God and obey not the gospel. Okay. Now, there are, 
there are a plethora. There's just so many different layers of that. That doesn't change the fact. I'm not saying there's different commands for different people. Don't you ever think that? Certainly not. And that there's a different saved and a different law. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm saying that there, sometimes we take things at face value and think it's as simple as telling somebody one time that God is God and Jesus is Jesus. And if you don't, oh, you don't believe that? Okay, never mind. You lost. Shame on me for that. Shame on me for that. Okay, now before we, uh, we don't have time. Daddy's not into plan to talk about the... Uh, uh, Degrees of, but I will say this, that is a, a good discussion. The idea of degrees of punishment, there is evidence in Scripture that suggests that it's possible that there are different degrees of punishment. Now, the thing is, you have to stop right there because that's as far as it goes. Lost is lost is lost. You say, well, um, um, it is... If you, forgive me, the English teacher is coming out in here. If you read the uh, Dante's Inferno, okay, and you read about his seven layers of hell, they're all different and they're all bad. <laughs> yeah. that, that, what? Yeah. Well, now again, we don't understand those things, but we're not supposed to. The, it's not on us to understand that. Uh, it doesn't matter. My job, now, while we're at it, before we leave this, is I want us to look at Mark 16, 15, and 16. You know that one very well. We looked at verse 15 last week. Go into all the world and teach or preach, preach the gospel. Interesting, that word there is not the word caruso. It's not the word for formally proclaiming. But it's the word for literally sharing, teaching. Uh, to me, you say, isn't that the same thing? It is, but yet, it, it, JT, it helps me understand that it's not just here. It, it's everywhere. You know, JT, may I use you as an example, please? May, may I use you uh, in a, may I tell a story? Not a story per se, but something that JT said to me. You know, uh, he said, I just don't think that I, could, that I can preach a sermon or, or stand up there. If I had to pick one person, if I was supposed to go and study with somebody, and I suddenly broke both legs and broke both arms, and I could not go, no way it's not happening. And I had to think of the first person that came to mind, it'd be JT. No offense to anybody else. There's a lot of names on that list, but I wouldn't hesitate to call JT. See, because that word in Mark 16, 15 is talking about, is the JT idea, the, the things that many of you do. Does that make sense? Now, but, then what does he say? Preach the gospel to every creature. He who is baptized, who, he who, oops, sorry, I knew that didn't sound right. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Future tense. Believe, be baptized, shall be saved. He who believes not shall be damned, lost, condemned, cursed. Okay, now, have you ever had someone say to you, I can never read this verse without thinking this, because I heard, I was waiting my turn to do a radio sermon years ago in Iuka, Mississippi. Uh, and the preacher before me 
was from a different place. And I heard him say this. Heard him with my own ears. And I thought, no, he could, no. But have you ever heard somebody say this? That Mark 16, 16, baptism is not a part of salvation because, and this is what this man said, sincerely, because it says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If, G if you have to be baptized to be saved, then Jesus would have said, he who is not, he who does not believe and is not baptized shall be lost. But he didn't do that. Where'd you get that idea? John chapter 3, and verse 16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 18, he who does not believe is condemned already in his heart. You see, baptism, we made, that is a made-up English word. Y'all know that, right? It's a transliterated Greek word for baptizo, which means to immerse, be immersed. You can't be immersed into the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, John 6, if you don't believe he's Jesus. If you don't believe he's Jesus, do you know if you were to count how many times I've been dunked out of the water? My brother and I grew up in the Lord's church, as many of you did. And we had a swimming pool in my backyard. My mother doesn't know this, but we had a baptizing contest one time. I think the record is 17. Uh, no, you can dunk folks under the water, and they're under the water dunked. But you're only baptized or immersed into Christ when you obey him, because you believe that that blood is there and that resurrection is there. Okay, and so, therefore, let's stop for a minute. We're going to have to change next week's lesson, it looks like. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. Listen to this. If we're told to go and, and teach to anyone who will listen, is that a yes or a no? Nod your head up or down or sideways, one way or the other. Okay. Those, those in the world need to be taught so they are not lost eternally. Is that a yes or a no? Okay. Therefore, if there are people in this world right now, this is the way I heard it explained and if you disagree with that, I'm okay with that. Let's talk about it later. One thing I won't do is argue in an open class about it, but let me tell you what I mean. If there is someone out there who is never, I'm going to use that for proverbial uh, fella on the island, okay, who has never, ever heard anything at all, and I go and I find him or her and I explain to him, and her, him or her who God is, and teach that person the gospel, and they learn it cover to cover. They learn it better than I know it. And they say, nah, not interested. Then that person was not lost, but because I taught them, now they are lost. That makes no sense. That completely contradicts. God would not command us to go because if the people who've never heard it are safe, when we go and teach them, we uh, expose them to being lost. That's not true. That ain't, that's not right. Yes.
That's right. You do. The plan of salvation before they have And if they choose not to accept it, did I make them lost? Okay, so you cannot say that the people who have never heard are okay. But here is the sad truth of that. Since we're talking about hard truth, we might as well talk about hard truth. Is that uh, in the beginning, God created... Uh, I better check my time. God created heaven and earth. Okay, Adam and Eve lost the garden. Correct, right? Because of that, there was something called the consequence of sin. You believe that? Is that why disease is in the world? Is that why we die physically? The consequence of sin? Correct? Okay, now, when they left the garden, or when they left the ark, when they left the ark, now, I'm not trying to wow you with science because I don't know any. But I have found some interesting reading that talk about genetic weaknesses and genetic dispositions. And when you read it from a Christian perspective, man, it is mind-blowingly fabulous. Because the idea is that as each generation from the ark was exposed to the atmosphere, no longer the canopy, the sun, each generation was the consequence of sin we began to experience. That's where cancer comes from. That's where other uh, genetic weaknesses come from. That's why that I have a full head of hair. I, not a, I got lucky. I got my granddaddy's side, my mama's side. My son got the other side. And he's already showing my grandpa Hodgins, I mean, car's hairline. Or lack of it. Okay, now, you say, what's that got to do with this? With each generation that spread, there were those who followed God and those who didn't. And with each generation, you go back to Ishmael. Y'all know who he is, right? He was the one handmaiden fellow, isn't that right? Yes, no, okay. And God provided for him. Do you know that entire generation? Do you know the folks right now who are sending all those rockets toward Israel? You know who they're kin to? Okay, so that's a consequence of choices and a consequence of sin. Well, there are whole generations of people who have not heard the truth in far reaches places of our planet and in our neighborhoods who have not heard the truth as a consequence of the sway of Satan over the world. Now, that goes back to this. I can't say, well, if I leave them alone, let God's grace take care of them. The minute I do that, I put myself in jeopardy because I'm ignoring his command. And he would not give me the command if they didn't need it. Now, I don't know. That's, I will tell you what I've told my students in my classroom is that you have tonight the good fortune or the bad fortune, depending on your point of view, of having the dumbest teacher on planet Earth. I only know one way to explain it, and that's super simple. To me, that makes sense. Now, does that answer that question? Well, the, here, okay, 
The but, the but comes, well, we, honestly, because of your participation, we won't get to the but tonight. But that's okay. That's fabulous. Uh, I would rather, yes, sir. second and in the same breath verse 31 says because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the earth he doesn't weaken this ignorance anymore that's why the command has been given to get out there and back to Romans 1 the creation and you know that brings up a very interesting thought and that interesting thought is this if you go back and think about if you go back and just if you study such things study what kind of mentality has been in the intellectual world, the scientific world, the social world, the political world, in the past 25 years. What has been elevated to the point of almost godlike status? Well, not social media, but uh, through the earth, the, in, the environment, the it has been given almost godlike status. Instead of it condemning us, it's become our, our God, our obsession. There are those who are more concerned about the planet and more concerned about rather than... Because the idea global warming is a man-made thing. It's got to be fixed by man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, no, no, wait a minute. The creation is God's teacher Creation should be teaching us. When we see the sun rise and the sun set, and when we see the, 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 the weather change the way it does, I'm sorry, if you, if you take this as being disrespectful, I promise you it's not meant that way, and I apologize in advance. But being a southern boy from, from Tishomingo County, there's sometimes when I see some of the powerful things in nature, I sat on my front porch, uh, the last storm system that came through, right at the very end, there was one last one that just kind of tagged along behind, little thing that did damage at North Crossroads in Burnsville, where my aunt lives. I watched that. I listened to that tornado go over the, my house. I watched it uh, above the, the tree line in the clouds. Man, that was powerful. And I can almost in my mind hear God, not in a disrespectful way, but say, Y'all watch this. If you will watch this, how can you say I don't exist? See, that's a point we leave out, Jonathan, is, is that the creation should. But we pull our way, we, we, we give creation a different place in our thought process. That, that doesn't say what I think it says. See, I always set my timer... I don't match start till about 10 minutes after I start talking. So it doesn't really help. Um, 
I want you to look at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8 uh, this week. And Lord willing, we'll finish this thought because I would rather do one thought with your and dig into it. This is exactly what I was talking about. But to be effective, it has to be in our minds. Why do I, why would I be motivated if people aren't really lost? If they're not really lost, then why would I go? Well, I really wouldn't. So that has to be understanding number one and uh, number two. But then we'll look at two more that I think you'll find hopefully equally motivating. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for allowing us to open your truth and to study it. Father, help us to understand that your truth is truth. And Jesus is the way and the world is lost and without someone to teach them that will be forever lost. Let it be us. Father, thank you for your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Yes, sir. Okay, good. All right. So, Sister Trilla's in a room. Very good. Uh, Parents, go get your children.